0: What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off The Cuff. You might know me as the guy from The Basement Yard, Vine, The Priori Podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off The Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off The Cuff. Welcome back to Off The Cuff. I'm your host, Danny LaPriori, and today I'm joined by survivor of a true crime, life coach, blogger, self-defense mentor, and advocate for trauma victims, Tara Newell. Tara, Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good thank you so much for having me on
0: We chopped it up a little bit before we got into this and this is something that an episode I've been excited to do for a while first off I just wanted to say I'm so happy that you're here to be able to have this conversation with me so you know I'm sure there's so many people that are that know your story already but I just wanted to ask a couple of questions just to for those that don't know. So you've had your story, obviously. You had to protect yourself, self-defense. Your story, if you want to just give us a little bit of the info, because I feel it's very important for people to tell their own stories and with their own comfort. So if you just want to give us you know, a synopsis of the story so people that don't know and aren't familiar with you can catch up.
1: Yeah, so my mom married a psychopath, not knowing he was a psychopath. And, you know, sometimes that's obvious, but sometimes that's, you know, people don't understand and they victim blame. But there's this whole psychology of like love bombing and trauma bonding this person to get this person attached to you and whatnot. And my mom was truly empathetic, great person. And she fell in love with this man. This man was a con artist and we ended up finding out some stuff. And he ended up coming after me after the second time that my mom left him. And I was able to defend myself in self-defense. This story is called Dirty John for a lot of, you know, the podcast and theories out there. But really, you know, every time someone else tells my story, like there's stuff that's kind of missing and stuff. So I really appreciate when people are able to have me on like, A platform like this and have my own narrative told. Because it was a crazy story. And it really gives me encouragement to talk more and more about it. And then every time I talk, it's funny, because I've literally told my story two times yesterday and once today already, because every time I share it, I give like little details of how I survived because it's crazy that I'm here today. You know, most of the time these women die in these situations. And my mom's husband came after me with a knife and I was able to take it from him and defend myself. That's crazy because I'm also six or he was six two and I was five two. So,
0: see, that's the thing I wanted to say is I think you brought up a great point is that percentage wise, that is that doesn't look good, yeah, it's for, for you outcome wise. So, how early, like into the relationship, were you like, this guy's a piece of shit?
1: Kind of like right away, but I didn't want to say it right away, you know, because right. I wanted to think like, okay, he's a good guy. My mom's not with another scumbag, you know, and this time it's like the worst scumbag she's ever been with. So I was like, okay, I want to think he's good. My mom's so in love with him. But at the same time, I already had my sister telling me, like, this guy is not such a great guy. I have speculations about him. And so I went into this, but I was also like, you know, my sister doesn't like a lot of people that my mom likes, And so I was like, I'm going to look at everything with this guy. And then he was a doctor. I was having issues with my I actually had stomach ulcers, but I didn't know that at the time.
0: Oof. Yeah, those are brutal.
1: Right? Because I was dating someone in the entertainment industry. I didn't know how to handle that relationship and whatnot. And so I brought that stress upon myself. And my body couldn't handle it. But I was telling him about what was happening to me and my symptoms. And he told me it sounds like ovarian cyst. So I went to the doctor, went to the OBGYN, and then she was like, You don't have that. You're good. But I think like it's too much stress for you to keep going to other doctors. So I'm gonna like do you a favor and I'm gonna actually do all your blood work for you here. Since and this doctor was like so calming, and I hate blood, so it really helped. And yeah, me too. Found out, like, you know, just had thyroid issues, which also, you know, hormone imbalance from like all the stress and, you know, lower cortisols or higher cortisols in your system. Because when you have high cortisol in your system, you're more inflamed, you're stressed out, and then you're going to be more susceptible to autoimmune disease. And just like any, your body is just going to deteriorate, kind of, because you can't handle all this cortisol in your system. And so I went and I found out, okay, that's not quite true. He wasn't right about that. And then I went back and he... Was there at my mom's house and it was like he moved in and he was helping her move at first, but I wasn't sure if he was like living there or not. But this time it was apparent he was basically living there. Right. They have only known each other for two months in this relationship. And so it was crazy. And then I ended up getting into it with him because I had a lot of questions about him because he had this huge elaborate story about how all his cars were taken and stuff stolen, how he had motorcycles, they were stolen, but he didn't have a car to drive right now. And he also had a lot of time on his hand for being an anesthesiologist. And from what I can remember, like this person that I had a crush on in high school, like wanted to be an anesthesiologist. So I was like, from what I can remember him saying, it's long hours and long work hours where you're just kind of essentially bored, but you're monitoring like this person's life.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're probably just staring at computer. Yeah. It's a big deal.
1: And then like when I met John, like he even told me like, oh, it's long hours. But then he wasn't working these long hours. But then he would go places and then he would drive my mom's cars. And I'm like, she just met him two months ago. He moved in. He's driving her cars and stuff. Like what's wrong with him? And then I had a friend that was a frequent flyer in the emergency rooms because she was a heroin addict. Mm -hmm. and he was in the hospital for his arm hurting. And to me, that is just a junkie sign. Right. And so I was like, okay, that's weird. So I ended up having questions with my mom, and then he (laughs) came up behind her and started yelling at me. And just kind of saying that I didn't want to see my mom happy. I wanted my mom's money and so on. And then I just kind of yelled back F at him and also basically told him, no, John, that's what you want. And this was the day before Thanksgiving. So I ended up going to my sister's, not having Thanksgiving and then not having anything to do with my mom. And so that was kind of like,
0: the BS that I was seeing at first. Yeah. See, like, especially in those situations when you have people that are like master manipulators, they say like these big, like mission statements where they're like, you're only here for money. And they say that around the person they're manipulating to kind of bury it into their subconscious that like, that's exactly what you're doing. And you brought up love bombing before too. Was he like a loving person when you were around to your mom?
1: So he would always like dote on her. He would always want be like, oh, I'll hold your purse for you. And he would be like, oh, I'll help you with this. Like he was always like that guy that was super helpful. Just like, you know, you're like, oh, you just make my life easier. So, you know, my kids are the ones being like, hey, mom, F you, this is wrong, blah, 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 I'm taking your, not, not like that. But you know, he was really using that to his advantage. But then he was being like, I love you. I'm sorry, you know, you're fighting with your kids. They just want you for, you know, and feeding into why you should hate us.
0: And then he he built like a false sense of need.
1: Yeah, and security with her and so she felt okay i can you know and this is part of like you know he love bomb her and then he like really like built this like niche with her and then he started to isolate her from those people and stuff where she's like okay i'm gonna lean into him where i don't want anyone else because everybody else is mean
0: right right and then it's so like even leading up to the, obviously the confrontation that you guys had was your relationship with your mom, even after they separated, did you and your mom kind of get like back into like being mother and daughter?
1: So I wanted to prove him wrong. I wanted to prove everything that he said wrong because I truly loved my mom. And the thing that I valued most with my mom was her personal time and affection and you know just like the bonding for sure so i was like okay i'm not gonna take a single penny of her money i'm gonna somehow do this on my own even though i've never done it on my own i'm gonna make it work and i literally i like i went and sold like A purity ring, but that's okay because I was living with my boyfriend at the time. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I guess I didn't need that anymore. And then I like sold a laptop. I sold like whatever I could. I hustled, you know, I'm so thankful that I've been given so many great things that I was able to take and sell. And then I worked as a dog groomer. So I just was like trying to budget a little bit better and. Really prove her wrong, because I didn't want to have him right, and in a sense, it was like he was gaslighting me, and I was like, you know, am I taking my mom's money? Like
0: yeah, because that's what it is with like manipulators. there's a trickle-down effect to manipulation, especially when it starts at like right the core of the family, like a like a mother or a father. you know that's going to trickle down to your kids, and they know what they're doing. Oh yeah, they know what they're doing. They have it down to a science. You know, some are better than others, but like, when people, like I said, make these outrageous claims in front, like if if you tell somebody something enough times, most people are going to believe it at some point.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
0: that's just how it works.
1: Yeah, like if you keep telling, you know, say you get into your relationship, and that other person is telling you like, oh, you'll never get anyone better than me. And they keep telling you that you're going to believe that over time. And then when you get out of that relationship, you're going to think that no one wants you. For sure. You know, you have to do a lot of work from when people give you those beliefs.
0: And the thing is, too, especially like in the relationship standpoint, the brain is only so smart. Yeah. You know, the brain is only so amazing. So if you tell the brain enough things, that will become a learned behavior at some point, you know, that's how like people go from like in situations, like people can be very lazy and they've kind of just convinced themselves like in their brain that like, Oh, it's just like how my brain is like, I'm lazy. And then like, you see the person three years later and it's like, they go to the gym seven times a week and like, they eat nothing but like vegetables and, and yeah. lean meats. And then and I'm just like, Oh, like this person like figured it out. You can manipulate your brain in good ways, but then you have these people that are like, You know, when you use the word manipulate, you don't really think of it in a positive context because of people like this fucking scumbag.
1: Well, yeah, it's creating like the neural pathways of the brain, you know, and when you're doing the good, you're creating the good neural pathways of brain and you're creating like the good, healthy ones. But when you're in this relationship and you're getting fed this bad neural pathway, it actually affects your whole body in a sense of like having like this gray and dark matter where like, you know, this is where physical illness of the body actually comes in. And, you know, this is why I actually know so many people in toxic relationships or have been in toxic relationships that have autoimmune disorders, uh, Hashimoto's and just IBS, so many different things, because these relationships made their body so physically ill.
0: Oh yeah, it it's amazing like it's almost in that sense of like if you think you're sick like you could actually become sick.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Like
0: the, the brain is very very powerful. It's a uh, you know like they always say like we only use like some like some low percent. Of our brain. That's got to be BS. It's just like then I'm like wait, if there's another 90% of my brain. I've lost sleep over this. I really have. I'm like how do I tap into just like 30%? Give me 30.
1: I love like Dr. Daniel Amen and Andrew Huberman and stuff because they talk about like how to build your brain and use it to its like full potential. And like a lot of that is like getting optimal sleep, making sure you have nutrients, you know, cutting out sugar because <laughs> unfortunately as great as sugar is, it's not great for your body.
0: No it's not i'm type 2 diabetic so i, I know i know it very you understand. well yeah oh yeah oh yeah it's a love hate thankfully i've been able to like i'm technically pre-diabetic now so like i so i've basically you know just from not drinking or eating sugar like got my health back
2: you I know and
1: that.
0: yeah yeah so, sugar's a scary son of a bitch for but sure
1: like we are a huge country and people well, like a whole world of drinking. Oh, yeah. There's so much sugar in it. It affects like your prefrontal cortex of the brain. I think it like affects your temporal lobes and stuff, it, like lowers the function of your temporal lobes. And so really, like if you have a drink a day, like you're not functioning to your full potential. And then just like When you stop drinking, like at least for me, I'm sober now from drinks. Me too. Oh, congratulations. And, you know, but I don't know if you realize this, like you're not swollen as much and stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely my friends and I used to joke around that I would have like this Michelin man stomach, like just from like drinking. But it it was at the point where like it's funny as a joke for a little bit. And then I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, dude, what is going on? So I was drinking like almost an 18 pack a day. Okay. So I was just crushing beers. You know, I know it was like in my early twenties, like that's what we did. Right. That's like, yeah, let's get, let's get fucked up. Yeah. And then it was like, oh wait, like I'm 28. Like all my friends stopped doing this and I'm still doing it. So like, that's when I really started to realize that I had a problem with it. And then I went to the doctor and they're like, dude, you have type two diabetes. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to like, Revamp my whole life. But like you were saying, like, how alcohol one can affect the brain, and then also like sugar and uh, all that other stuff can affect the brain. I quit all of that cold turkey. And my brain went haywire.
1: Okay, your brain was like, why aren't you feeding our addictions right now?
0: Yes. So I remember just being like, Oh, like, wait, we love sugar. And we love alcohol. and We haven't had it for like a week and a half. And my, I could literally feel my brain just misfiring, like going all over the place and having, I was, that's when I really started having like these really horrible, horrible anxiety and and panic attacks because my brain was looking for these substances that weren't there to create these feelings, you know, these, these firing mechanisms and my brain just stopped firing.
1: Yeah, so I, was,
0: I was all banged up. It was really, really bad. It
1: so you know what they say to do when you like go through that such heavy transition, you're going to want to do stuff like rock climbing, bungee jumping, things that like bring so much adrenaline to you and get your- shoot
0: it throughout the brain.
1: Yeah, in a healthy way.
0: See, that was a thing because when I didn't do that, I said, I can't go outside because if I go out with my friends, I'm going to have a drink. If I do this, I'm going to drink. you know, so I was, I literally like shut myself off from the world, which is obviously extremely unhealthy. So I just did all unhealthy things trying to get healthy. So that's exactly what I did. See, now I'm like, if I could go back, I would have exercised. I would have just been in a situation where I was like, I did it all encompassing health. But I got, like, down on myself. So, like, it was it was a... Look at me, like, complaining about, like, this thing. And, like, you had to defend yourself. (laughs) It's like, I'm just like, I can get (laughs) sugar. And you were like, well, I had to, you know, I had to kill someone to save my own life. You know, it's so weird because... I mean, it's not weird. I think it's something that I've come to terms with in terms of, as somebody like yourself that deals with a lot of trauma, it's like, Triggers, right? so like i have like I have triggers that are like food related. you know, like I'll look at like a piece of cake and like <laughs> I have trauma from cheesecake, it really, it really is. like I'll look at a cheesecake, and I'm just like, oh, like I can't, and then it reminds me of like all the stuff that led up to this moment of me having type two diabetes, and I get super down in the dumps. So like, for you, do you have triggers that honestly take you all the way back? See your self-defense like even like today like something like extremely small that will like throw you all the way back because i've always wondered that especially when i knew we were going to do this interview it's like tv is like riddled with that shit is entertainment something that you like have to worry about like what you go and watch especially with your post-traumatic stress
1: a hundred percent like i watched the movie not okay the other day and just a little synopsis on the movie. It was this girl who faked being in attacks in Paris and then came back, was a part of like the survivor group and then took part of these survivor stories and made it into like a media sensation. And I was so triggered by that movie because, first of all, the people that fake this trauma and stuff. Most of the time, they're not okay with in their head. And most of the time, these people are like sociopaths. How they showed this movie made me so, I'm like going to get like angry about it now, but it's fine because people have to know. But at the end, it was like showing that the girl felt guilty for taking this person's story.
0: Right. It's like, yeah, I feel kind of bad about it. It's like, yeah, of course you do.
1: Normal people do feel bad if they did something like this, but the sociopath doesn't show this.
0: Oh, no, 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 they don't.
1: Yeah. And why would they show it in a movie? Because Zoe Dutch plays this character.
0: That's the weird thing too. It's like Hollywood will go out of their way to like, kind of like give scumbags a platform, <laughs> you know? And, and by kind of like, this just like kind of it's just what they do.
1: Well, and then Anna Delphi has a million followers yeah, Julia. She was like the Russian, like scam artist, but like literally. So Julia Gardner played me, and Julia Gardner's played her.
2: Uh, yeah, that's right.
1: It just sucks to show that she played a victim. I have, and you know, I'm very thankful for all of my followers and all the people that have supported me. But I have 34k. Anna Delvey has a million followers. Right. Do you think that our ser- like our series actually did probably around like the same? you know, Dirty John had eighty-seven million followers. But do you think that if John was alive, who would have more followers? John Meehan or Tara Newell? John Meehan.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Because this country, I think the world in general, but definitely in America, we have this extremely sick
1: obsession with
0: with voyeurism. Yeah. Where it's like oh survivors are cool that's great but i want to get into the mind of the psychopath and like scientifically like follow these people around either digitally or literally these people go and see these people it's like the craziest thing it's like you see people that like kill their wives or kill their their lovers right and then you got women writing them love letters in prison oh yeah. you know it's insane to me that like there's people and it and, and a lot of it comes back to like I'm humans. We are just so insecure and mentally unstable that, you know, it, it's being a sociopath. It's like a, almost a normal walk of life at this point.
1: It is. Well, like, you know, and you can't get to positions of power without kind of being a strong persona at times. And, you know, sometimes a Quality of like a narcissist is like charming and stuff and that gets you to positions of power a lot of the times and when these people are doing it from like the genuine of their hearts and stuff they're gonna be most likely oh like well this person seems like they're really you know for it so i'm gonna step back and let them charge. you know yeah
0: it's like you see real heroes but like sometimes like they're like the best heroes are like the ones you never hear about oh yeah like there was a comedian, I forgot what his name was, but he lied about like being in the 911, like being in the towers.
1: Okay. I think that the movie Not Okay was kind of based off of that situation.
0: Yeah, and and then he went on Stern, Steve uh, Renizzi, I think is his name, and he lied about being in one of the towers. And then my mind goes, my my cousin was killed in the World Trade Center attacks. Sorry. So, no, it's it's okay. It was, it was mostly my mom and them were very close. And, you know, my mom still deals with that to this day. Every year she goes down there for the memorial and does the whole thing. I remember when I heard that story and I was like, this is like one of the most offensive things that I could ever hear. Like the fact that this person could ever work again, is, especially in entertainment, was like wild to me. Yeah, I was like, dude, you lied about being in a tower. For what? Because you're you're a sociopath. That's what a sociopath does. They say, oh, like, you want to just be that attached to people perishing? Like, and then just, like, be able to, like, that's so strange to me. And then I remember almost, like, a couple weeks ago, I kind of got into it with a friend of mine, too, about a story he told me a couple years ago. And it was a story that, like, even how you said, when he was telling the stories about the cars and all that stuff. Like it just didn't make sense to me and it always like stood in the back of my brain. But like he was my friend, so I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. But it also like turns out he was lying, and I was like, dude, you know you went like two years lying to me about this story for two years. I was like, dude, I was like, how are we supposed to be like friends now?
1: Yeah. You
0: know, and it wasn't even that big of a deal. Like if you would have just told me the truth, like we would have been good. And it was very strange for me. And like even like you said with John, you see all of this stuff getting done. And you survive. This is your story. You should be the main focus of all of this stuff. And I know, like, they probably go around and tell you that you're the main focus of this stuff, but it's the audience.
1: They don't, okay, production doesn't tell you that you're the main focus. Do you know what production tells you? Production tells you, well, you know, we need everyone's stories because it's not just your story, you know, it's your mom's, it's Tanya's, it's this, that. But, and I understand that they all have stories, but the reason why he isn't here today is because of me and I have to hold on to that trauma and I have to live with that. And I am the only one that has to live with that.
0: And the thing is, is that again, like, I'm so happy you said that because that statement in itself is so powerful. And I know that that took you a lot of time in your life to even build up, to make that statement. I'm really proud of you. For what you just said, because I know that that sentence was not like capable of being formulated years ago.
1: Thank you you know, I 100 percent want to support these people, but like everyone has to understand that they didn't have to, I mean they went through trauma with them, him, but their trauma is different from what happened and what had to be done. This day, you know, for
0: sure. It's and you want to know what's what you're going through and what you've been through is so uncommon in terms of realistic. It's uncommon, but it is common because domestic violence and you know, like that's obviously that's a pandemic in itself in, in this country throughout the entire world, especially male female domestic violence. But that situation is so unique that. I feel like for you, how do you find so like a common ground really with everyday people? How do you find a common ground? Like for you like what's a normal day like for you, especially since you know dealing with post traumatic stress and and I want I want to get deeper into that, but I want to kind of just get inside your brain as as much as you'll let me for the time being, but like what's a normal day for you like now compared to what it was like then?
1: So I'm not gonna lie. I always didn't have the best coping strategies. I was a child that had CPTSD, so complex PTSD.
0: Can you just elaborate for the the listeners, like what that is, and also me because I don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> so complex PTSD. It's basically you have to have trauma as a child, and it's kind of like you know, you can have like different things happen, or you can have like one significant thing happen. But because you're a child, it's so complex because your child brain can't deal with that. So uh, I think that's why it might be called also complex PTSD. Also, when you get PTSD, and you know, only, I think it's a small percentage of people, I can't remember the number. And I actually don't believe in that statistic a little bit, because I've just met so many individuals that have their own story. And, you know, finding the common ground with people on everyday basis is everybody has a story. Everybody has some type of trauma whether they have post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, there's only a percentage of the population that actually gets that. But, you know, there's the commonality that everybody has been through something. Everybody has been hurt. And so I don't love to get to know people's hurt, but I love to bond with people over that and know that we're all not alone. So a day, for me, like I have to stick with a routine And that is like, I get up, I honestly, I have to check messages and stuff because I work for like social media companies too.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's just part of the deal. You wake up, check social media, check messages, do all that. And that also just like, I mean, a walk would help better. But for me, I'm like, and also there was this technique that Mel Robinson can't remember her name, right? But like this technique where you like if you're feeling like you are too slumped to roll out of bed, like you literally roll out of bed and then go on the floor and stuff and kind of wake up that way.
0: I've done that. I've done Do that. You have- yeah, I've done that. I've done that. Yeah, I've done that. And actually, it actually does work. It kind of got me like acclimated to being out of bed, but like getting out of bed too fast for me, like almost makes me tired.
1: Okay. I like hearing
0: that. Yeah. So like when I'm rolling out of bed, I don't like to, if I stay in bed, I'll fall asleep. So when I was, when I was doing this, if I stay in bed and I'm tired, I'll fall asleep. But if I get up and start walking around, I don't feel well. So I needed like this acclimation period where, uh, I would actually do this. I would lay on the floor and know, like, you can't stay here forever. Like you, like in your mind, it's like, you know, you're going to have to get up, but it was almost like a process that like felt like natural. It felt like somebody like gave birth to me every morning.
1: Okay. So I recommend doing that opposed to getting on your phone. Like I do, but like, I just, my boss will get give me anxiety if I don't do that when I get up.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, but, no, that's what it is. Uh, yeah.
1: So I check like that for probably like 15 minutes or so. And then I get up. I do like, get water. So I just start to embrace like my lymphatic system and everything. And then I also on a good day will try to do hot lemon water so that it ups my metabolism and also helps with like stinky breath, like bacteria in my mouth and everything also. And I swear when I do this, I never get a sore throat. But when I don't do this, I am so acceptable to sore throats all the time. And then I will take my dog out and then I'll feed him. And then I'll just like get a tea going and then I'll start to do my work and stuff for the day. And that's like how I start my day. If it's been a super stressful where I wake up with anxiety, I will do a meditation also in the morning. Like there's some days where I'll wake up and just like straight panic mode.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, even my fiance, like sometimes like she'll come in and wake me up like in a loving way but it scares the shit out of me, you know? And then I'm like, I'm in a sense where I'm like, okay, like my morning's like kind of ruined now because now I have to go into like this regroup mode where I'm like, I've never told her that. Maybe I'll tell her like later, but like she did it to me this morning and I was terrified for about an hour after. And I, and she, she gave me a panic attack. Like she's going to feel terrible to hear that, but it's weird. If there's like this weird buffer period of like 10 minutes, that if I don't do the right thing, it's going to be a long day for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, it just just with my anxiety and my panic. Like, it, it throws me off like crazy. And I, I don't know. I Like, do you sleep well?
1: So I suck at sleeping unless, yeah. like, I do all these kind of steps beforehand where I literally, and I learned about this from the Amen Clinic because I went there for my therapy when all my trauma started at first, but I couldn't stay there because it's an amazing place, but it was like $400 for a therapy session.
0: <laughs> yeah. it's uh, That's a whole nother story. Don't even get me started on that. I, I lose my mind every time I hear that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, great place, super holistic and stuff. And I'm like, he's like, dealt with like amazing people like Crystal Hefner, Annalyn McCord and football players, like lots of people. I think like Justin Haley Bieber even, like so many people, but he's amazing. And I learned about this through like his clinic and going to a therapist there. And so I have to cut out food and water three hours beforehand and i'll i like make a list too so i know this and i put it on my fridge so i have like my schedule of what i need to do i yeah,
0: have me too <laughs> i have i have a, i have a fridge calendar fridge schedule too yeah
1: so okay nine o'clock stop all food water cannot do that you know and i also intermit. i love to intermittent fast because that actually helps with your circadian rhythm too yes yes
0: yes yes and then i like to do like 10-15 minutes of like when i take the dogs out in the morning i like to do that on an empty stomach too to kind of like give my body that feeling of like running without like off like running off core energy like whatever excess fat i have and like other stuff and then instead of like Oh, we're gonna go to the food and use like the carbohydrates from that. I'm like, no, let's run off like the fat. Let's get a little bit of that and get the engine started. So I like to get this engine like started on empty. I'm in this whole thing. I was just in the process, like I've lost 26 pounds. So like I'm I'm figuring out like the science of how my body works.
1: I love that. Well, you know, as human beings, and you know, there's some people that can't go without eating food and stuff, but they have to take notice and notice that is for them and not for other people. You know what I mean? For sure.
0: Like, especially with intermittent fasting, like you were saying, it's like some people, like, for me, it's like, it's not really safe for me to like not have, like, because I have to keep my blood levels like within a certain range. But being able to go to sleep at night has been a huge help for me weight-wise sleep-wise i used to snore so much oh really when i would eat at night yeah my fiance always made fun of me too because like i would have these things called second dinners where <laughs> like, so, so i would eat dinner at like six o'clock and then we'd have leftovers and then i'd eat it at like nine thirty. so then she would just be like dude like you're eating one too much and then also you're eating way too close to bedtime so i would snore like crazy wake up with like a sore throat. I would wake up in the middle of the night multiple times. Like now that I've basically adopted the same thing that you're doing.
2: I I I feel
0: a ton better. Yeah. I have a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you pertaining obviously to your life. Your dog Cash was there during the attack and then also your recovery. Can you just talk to me about the importance of Cash in your life and just also the importance of animals in your life?
1: So, well, Cash, I love him. And he's no longer here anymore. He passed away actually like a year ago on the 17th of August. So a little there. Thank you. And he was so important to me, but I'm going to be honest. There was times where I couldn't be around him during my attack.
0: Oh, Cash became a trigger for you.
1: Yes, because my dog did bark in my attack. And so that became a trigger. And I really had to work through that. So there was times where he actually was not helpful, but he really did learn how to sit on my stomach and regulate my nervous system. But then honestly, like having this kitten here, if I wasn't allergic, cats are so great for regulating the nervous system also too. And especially if you've been through PTSD, because they kind of know when to back off from you when you're having too much. But then they also know when, like, you're going to need that calmness. And then they start purring. And then that co-regulates your nervous system. And I'm, like, like just having the cat purr, I'm, like, realizing. It. I'm, like, oh, this is cool. My hands are swollen right now. But, like, because I'm allergic.
0: Yeah. So you're, like, I'm going to do it because I need it. Yeah. I can deal yeah. with the allergy. I'll take a better drill. Like, I'll be
1: okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's also, like, someone was saying Dr. Judith Joseph, she has like a page where she like posts like, oh, what animals might be good for like different disorders and whatnot. And she was like saying how like snakes could be great for autism kids and but horses are great for autistic kids also because they learn boundaries and autistic kids are very in tune And so they're able to kind of like gauge the horse's emotions and stuff and learn how to properly manage that, which is really cool. I was at a therapy place the other day where they did that. So there's different animals for different things. And I would just ask if you have a therapist, ask your therapist, like, hey, I'm looking into getting an ESA animal. What kind of animal do you think might be best for my life?
0: See, I think that's actually, I've never heard anybody bring up that point. I think it's a great one because I think a lot of people are just like, Oh, just get a dog. And I'm like, dude, like you're having a hard time just being a person right now. Like you have to, you know, if you don't take care of this thing, it will perish. Like, you know, like you, you have to be able to take care. And then I think cats, the best thing about cats are like, they're just like your asshole neighbor. Like that never pays you rent, but like you love them. So you keep them around, you know, it's like, it's just like, oh God, it's like, all right, whatever. But it, like you have those moments with cats. I think cats are more as instinctual as dogs are. I think cats are more emotionally instinctual. So like my brother punched a window once when he was a kid and cut up his whole arm and the dog
1: did that too.
0: <laughs> your brother did that too.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: so, so my brother, my brother got into an argument in school, and punched the window, and you know those windows like that had all the wires in them, like weird school windows.
2: Yeah.
0: He punched through it and came back and it cut his arm up like something nasty. Yeah, and he was he was honestly lucky to to survive that. But like our cat laid with him the entire time and like purred on him, like because she could tell that like he was in like a shitload of pain. But I don't know, man. It's like I wouldn't even mind getting a cat just for my dogs. To, like, regulate that. Yeah. Cats are gangster. Cats are super gangster.
1: Yeah, my dog, like, now he has a little anxiety. And it was great when I got him, though, because I needed something to get me up and going. Because yes. I got into a depression when my last dog died. So it was like I needed him to like get me up and going. but like, if I got him like right around my attack with John, it would not have been great.
0: after the situation with John, what was the relationship like building with your mom after that? Was there a like a period where you were like, "I don't even want to talk to my mom. Like she brought this guy like into my life, into our lives. Was that something that was hard for you to forgive? because, like again, you see these movies they end yeah oh you know? and, and it's like this is your relationship with your mother this is a big deal you know so what was that like and how are you guys doing now
1: so i mean i feel like everyone fights with their mom especially if oh, you're yeah. a girl <laughs> <laughs> so like i mean there will be days where i fight with her and whatnot but then i will also like complain or see my girlfriends literally fight with their moms and then i'll be like oh okay well like i'm just fighting with my mom like a normal person does too
0: right because for you though in your situation it's like there's like the struggle for like normalcy right when you deal with stuff up here it's like oh is this like what's going on up here is this like normal and it, it is a big relief when you see like oh like yeah i can get upset with my mom like people do that i forgot
1: Right. Well, I'm like, you know, I did resent her for a time, but like when everything happened, it was just like shock. I was so happy. He didn't try to hurt my mom. I was so happy. He didn't try to hurt anyone else. Mm. So it was just being so thankful that we were here and that he was gone.
0: Do you still think you deal with survivor's guilt?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, there's days where like, and people, like, sometimes have to remind me, like, Tara, you are a badass.
0: Oh, I 100%. Like,
1: I know that, but then it's still, like, like I wish I didn't have to do that. Like, I wish the cops could have handled it. But, you know, everything happens for a reason, and I have to lean on that reason when those days come up. Because, you know, I want to be normal, Some days (laughs) I want to be as normal as I
0: can be. Right. But you are normal. You are normal. I hope you know that because listen, it's your situation and what happened in your life is obviously like it's movie shit. You know, like it's what people, this is what drives people to write scripts and true stories and books and and podcasts. Like you have an amazing story, but I hope that you do hold on is that you are, you are a normal person because I'm talking in terms of, Post-traumatic stress, anxiety, panic, depression. These are all normal things. Like, I think you know, and obviously you've put the work in, and it's like, I hope that you don't let trauma pull you away from that. You are beautifully normal.
1: I hope no one takes offense to this ever, because I'm so appreciative of the conversations that I've had. I'm so ex- like appreciative of the experiences that I have. But there's some times where, like, I might walk into a grocery store and then someone looks at me and they're like, and then, like, that person might come up to me and might be like, oh, so you're, aren't you Tara, the girl that stabbed that guy? And, like, some days I would just like to be, like, Tara, the dog groomer or something. You know what I mean? Like, nothing... I would just like to be a normal person in the sense that like I don't get recognized some days.
0: For sure, for sure. In in that sense of like normalcy, like obviously. And then also finding you like we talked about before, people to relate to like your exact, you know, story is very rare, if at all. But that's a real thing that you gotta deal with. That that's you're right about that. That's very true.
1: But every time I do have a conversation with that like a person they do take something away from my story that is beneficial and that can be like a survival tip to their life.
0: For sure. And and that that's the thing too. It's like in the sense of like survival, it's like when we're talking about like, Oh, I'm just trying to survive. Like we're talking about like, you know, like get a job, and find a partner or live this and, 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 and live life like that. Like you were put in a primal set yeah. of survival, like as primal as it gets. At any point in your life after the event, were you ever like, you know what, like, in a sense, like, I'm I'm kind of proud of myself that I was able to stick up for myself in that situation.
1: Yes, I was like, after, so my ex came, and he like, was there after the attack. And I feel like that was the first time where I felt like, wow, like, I did that. And that I survived and like, wow, that was amazing that I was in that. And it was like, because a guy made me feel that way. <laughs> 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 I also had to go to therapy because I had to realize those patterns of, you know, why my mom got into that relationship. And why I repeat certain patterns of relationships of like chasing men and having that anxious attachment
0: (laughs) yes yes so again you said your ex so like what's dating like for you now dealing with obviously the event but mostly like with your diagnosis of ptsd how for you it's kind of hard to be like transparent because they can just google you right but like you know in terms of like being transparent with people how is that for you because i feel like in a sense of like you know we're talking about normalcy of life like Dating's normal, but in your sense that's a little more difficult, right?
1: Yeah, so you know, I had fun on the dating apps and I really appreciate the experience that I've gained from them. Definitely like have a lot of interesting stories and whatnot. But I for me personally, and given everything that I do and everything that I've gone through. For me, it's super hard to just like meet a guy on a dating app and to be like, to find a super secure attachment because it's like no one really understands. And then I like to like also date industry people because people understand a little bit more when they work in the industry. Right. Just like why do the stuff that I do and whatnot and for like a normal you know, someone working not an industry job, they might be like, why are you like doing this and not getting paid? <laughs> well, it's like, you do, you know, in the industry, you do They don't know the hustle. Pay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, okay. So it's like, you have to have someone that appreciates your creative aspect of things and why you do things. But I also, I- want to be with like another survivor in a sense and or just someone that you know it would be great like i hate to say this it'd be great to meet someone that's gone through a lot of trauma and just done a lot of work on themselves
0: (laughs) well the good good thing is is that you know you can mutually love bomb and then you can mutually trauma dump (laughs) yeah You know, and, and, and you don't have to feel bad about it because you guys are giving each other drama. So it's like whatever that famous scale is, it'll even it out. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: It'll even it out. That's all. As long as you equally distribute it, you guys will be fine.
1: Well, and then like, I'm not going to lie, it's not hard for me to meet like men and stuff. It's just hard for me to meet someone that's completely aligned with me because I'm a very particular person with a lot of things too. <laughs>
0: No, that's the, that's, that's the other thing too. It's like, especially like with dating, it's like, you almost have to feel bad for like having like a type or like a sense in terms of like what you feel comfortable in a situation. Yeah. So like, you know, a lot of people have says about like everything that we do, but I tell people all the time on the show, do not get in a relationship. If you're not 100% sure you want to be in the relationship, do not do that. Yeah. Never ends well. It never ends well. To be like, oh yeah, like I was seeing like this guy or this girl and like, you know, they were like these things that like I don't know if I could deal with. There's gonna be stuff about partners that your entire life you're gonna hate, but you have to ask yourself a question. You're like, can I live with this for the rest of my life?
1: Right. Or there's gonna be that perfect person that kind of aligns with everything and you're just like, wait, you're checking off everything on my list, but let's just be friends for a minute, see like if this is truly, you know. For sure, something's gonna work out. Like that's more so my vibe right now. Is like I have like a few people that I honestly could see myself being with.
0: Good for you. Look at you, options out here, just living the dream. Good for you.
1: <laughs> well, right now they have to be my friend right now because I have to know that they're not going to screw me over. And you know, a sense of my trauma. Like I've been through so much, and uh, like. There's, like, even getting re-traumatized in the true crime space. Like, there was a someone who kind of groped me, and I found out recently that he did this to so many survivors. And I made excuses for this person because I thought it was an isolated incident. And then I find out that this person's actually a serial perpetrator.
0: <laughs> well, at least he did, because some people don't find out you know and then it it becomes something even worse
1: yeah so it's like just having to wait a while and build trust with someone to see if they could be that person but i'm totally comfortable being like alone just i'm happy with my life that i have you know i of course have trauma and i'm always having to work on my triggers and like yesterday i had tremors
0: <laughs>
1: but like
0: are you okay today
1: yeah I'm there's just a lot of stuff going on where like my six year survival anniversary is coming up even, and then I'm watching my friend's dog. I'm fostering the cat, and my friend's dog like he's on everything. and then I was already triggered on top of that. So it's just like a bunch of built up triggers that like led me to that point. And then I started a new social media job and I'm going to be honest, I was used to just doing healing for a while.
0: Right. Yeah. Because that I went through that too. Like, obviously, when I dealt with my uh, like nervous breakdown, I put so much time into healing. So, like, I I get that, like, that re entrance into the real world is kind of scary. The transition's pretty rough.
1: Right. So, I'm going through that right now. And so it's like, but I'm, telling myself like this is part of the journey this is part of the process you know and I'm doing this because I want a child and you know for a child you have to give that kid like a just a supportive lifestyle and you don't want to have that kid wondering like where's that next meal coming from you know
0: right yeah and you know as I always look at that too like I have this weird I definitely have baby fever right now, that's like one hundred percent, like I'm getting married next spring, okay, and uh yeah i'm getting well, I'm getting married thank you so much, but like I don't know what it is. I just have like insane baby fever right now, like i ju- I just want a baby so bad,
1: oh my gosh, don't tell me that because I'll manifest that for you, and then it will happen right away.
0: <laughs> hey listen, listen, I'm all in, you know what I mean it'd be my fiance that might give you a phone call that's that's the other. Thing. <laughs> It's crazy because I think after, I don't know what it is. I feel like people who have gone through trauma in their lives, like you said, like, I want to allude back to what you said, like there's levels, right? There's levels and there's different kinds of trauma, right? But I feel in my sense, I had this like much greater admiration for life. Was that something that you went through? And was that something that you took you a long time to get there? Because the beginning is so grim, right? So yeah. like this horrible event happens in your life. Right. And this is the way you're thinking of it. Like this is like the worst thing that's like ever happened to me. It's triggering for me, you know, and it almost like plants a seed inside you in a sense of like, you have this post-traumatic stress and like when it comes time for it, we're coming out. Yeah. You know, like, like, like it's going to be a party in here soon. And I'm just letting you know, but you kind of like, like how we said, get acclimated to the real world, like your adrenaline and you're still dealing with like the bare minimum, like primal survival instincts even after that. So like, how long did your like post-traumatic stress kind of just chill in your body for?
1: So, well, it got to a place where I did EMDR therapy and I was like, what is that EMDR therapy? It's eye motion desensit repetition therapy it's equivalent to about 10 talk therapy sessions <laughs> and it is amazing but like a warning if you go through it like make sure you're with the right therapist
0: yeah it could be a crazy experience like it's for lack of a better word but like it could be eye-opening no pun intended
1: Well, and then you might have a lot of flashbacks of things that you haven't remembered. Like the last time that I really went through this, I've done EMDR therapy five times (laughs) because I had a lot of trauma. Yes. But the last time it was crazy. I started having flashbacks of me getting molested as a child Mm. and I never remembered any of this.
0: Oh, wow. So you repressed it so much that this thing went back that far in, in, in your subconscious and brought that. Wow.
1: Wow. And you know, when you're a child, your brain will actually hide and block things out of your memory because as a child, you cannot process what just happened because your mom, your parents are supposed to be your protectors and whatnot. And your brain is not fully developed enough for you to process what just happened.
0: Oh, yeah, because, like, you know, one, you know, we have, that's the thing about that. Now, we just said, like, we both want kids. That's, like, the one thing that drives me, like, off the wall in terms of, like, how am I going to protect this kid? That's, like, the main focus of, like, I have baby fever, and I'm, like, you know, how am I going to protect this kid from this world that's just so full of grossness?
1: Well, you know, you can teach them great coping mechanisms, you can teach them about nutrition, you can teach them how to treat others, but you can also teach them that there's some people that don't treat you so well, and that those people you don't have to be around and as long as you know like these bases and you love your child i feel you know a parent is gonna fuck up no matter what <laughs> oh, yeah. but as long as you like give your child nurturing and you like have a healthy balance of the yin and the yang you know you're gonna like have this amazing growth like have this amazing child that's gonna be like a leader and stuff, just because like you have done the work. And so you're going to like be aware of you trying not to bring on your generational trauma to your child.
0: Yes. And I, you know, I think a lot of that actually like goes down to it too. Like if say for like if parents argue in front of their kids, yes, you know, if they name call in front of their kids, if they, if, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that they don't realize because they're so caught up in that one-on-one that face off, that's like kind of going on. And then, you know, there's like, oh shit, like my three kids are like, just watch me yell at their mom and storm out of the house. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm definitely going to go out of my way. I hope, you know, to make sure, but like, I, I get upset sometimes. So, you know, it's like, it's, I still need training in terms of like, once that happens though, like, I don't know what it is with me. Maybe you're the same way, but like, I just think the idea of being able to like procreate is so dope.
1: Like, honestly and then like building like epigenetics for your kid and stuff like there's, like so much that we know now that we didn't know back then and stuff and then like i think it's really cool to have like at home births and stuff
0: i think it's cool too
1: yeah because it's like our bodies were actually made and you know like the contractions and stuff that you have you actually are supposed to like feel those contractions with your body and kind of roll with that and like sorry if this is tmi but i feel like you know no, no. you're supposed to roll with it as if it were like an orgasm really yes
0: well you want to know something Bert, you know i'm gonna stop start, start being a little less uh you know i want to have a baby now too
1: yes!
2: <laughs> yes! <laughs>
0: Let me get pregnant. Let me get pregnant or something. If I got to roll with it like an orgasm, I'm getting pregnant tomorrow. If that's the truth, you know what I mean? Yeah, women are said to like
1: hold the pain
0: more and stuff. Right. And now I'm going to be like, hey, what are you complaining about? You're having orgasms over here.
1: No, don't be like. No, that. no, 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 no. no. <laughs> you might get, you know, stabbed in the eye because of that during childbirth.
0: One hundred percent, or or like, end or something ripped off, especially in that situation. I'm so like, especially when I get to talk to women that have amazing stories on this show. It's you know. I'm 33. So like I came from like an era where like toxic masculinity was like kind of like at an all time high. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it wasn't as bad as like, you know, like earlier times, obviously, but like dudes are douches. So like the older I get, like the science of the female body, I think has been like the most intriguing one for me because the older I get, the more you just appreciate, like again, how gangster women are.
1: Well, Thank you. Well, it's crazy too, because I feel like back, in high school and stuff you're like what is this stuff that we're talking about and then now you're like oh
0: (laughs) yeah i just find it like a woman's resiliency is just you know it's it's hard to beat that kind of you know you know it's just hard like you know like you got to come with something super like crazy to the table or it's like dude i'm gonna get i'm gonna get pregnant carry this friggin kid that you gave me right for nine months There's so much more stuff happening in a female body biologically. Yeah. That we don't even fucking even have a sense of dealing with. Oh yeah. And then you add something like in your case, you know, you add that already to something that's already like a biological, you know, it's like a wonderful, like mass like fucked up masterpiece, right? Yeah. Like for you, just being a woman living that. One, it's statistically you, you weren't supposed to survive two you still your body still has to deal with like normal women things. What was that like for you, especially dealing with like with your post-traumatic stress? like can PTSD like you know not to be TMI, but like can you miss a period from it? Can it make like you know have exterior triggers like breakouts? like can it like how, do, how would that coincide with just like your just biological makeup?
1: So from what I know. I think my cortisol levels were extremely high, but then I think they kind of fluctuated because of everything. And then I had a large amount of testosterone in my system. And so actually, when you have a large amount of testosterone, especially from like, and you'll have this a lot of times from like combatic traumas and honestly, PTSD, because it actually speeds up the aging process a little bit more.
2: Oh, wow. Really? Really?
1: Yeah, because if you think about it, like when you get to the state of menopause, you have so many like hormones and stuff in your body, and they, there's hormone supplements and whatnot to like offset and balance. And you have to really work with a, a doctor that specializes in this and whatnot. Like, I'm like, don't do this on your own, but you can honestly know your levels if you take some at home tests. Like, I think Everly Well even has some at home tests with that stuff to know your cortisol levels and whatnot.
0: How often do you think women should do that?
1: I think that women should be doing it at least once a year. If you have the issue, I think that you should be doing it more often just to figure out the balance of things. Because like, and then when my body changed and I had all this testosterone in my system, like I'm craving red meats because I'm craving like more testosterone. Around.
0: Primal, yeah. Primal stuff.
1: And I'm more aggressive because I'm also like going into fight or fight mode all the time, more so fight mode, where my body's just now that's like the normalcy. My body's like, okay, that's what you had to do to save your life. So you're gonna have to keep going into this when you get triggered.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So like again, I wanna I just wanna ask a follow-up question on that too. It's like
1: yeah.
0: how long after Obviously, you self defense, you had to kill John in that situation. For you, how long did you think you stayed like in that state of like, I'm fucking fired up right now? Because your body is just, I can't even imagine what gets released in your body in that situation. For you, were you like, was it like a long like thing or like did it go away for a little bit and then come back?
1: So there's different like stages of the process of like PTSD. Like, first, you're at shock no matter what and then you're kind of like angry (laughs) it's like a grief stages you know yeah yeah but you have to go through it all you're like in shock you're angry then you kind of come to like defensiveness and like arguing like did this really happen and you kind of go into like I forget what that stage is called, but the one where you have to like convince yourself that it really did happen.
0: <laughs> oh, oh uh, yeah, like reassurance. Like I forgot the name for it too, but the, uh, it's acceptance, maybe.
1: I think that's the last stage. The last gonna, stage is acceptance.
0: I'm going to look it up stages of grief. Yes. Because now, now the, the sap in me would not, not be able to get through this denial, anger, anger, bargaining depression okay. and yeah, like the
1: bargaining so like you're yeah. I mean, like did this really happen to me and stuff and then you know
0: so when you're doing work now what kind of people are you helping in terms of you know obviously they deal with trauma but without giving away too much obviously there's privacy and stuff like that but like who are you mostly dealing with now
1: I work with a lot of people that suffer from like toxic relationships, a lot of people that have actually been through trauma and actually not believed with their trauma, or just have like narcissistic parents that kind of were like, well, you're the reason why this happened. And I can give away that because it's not giving away one person's story in particular. It's like, this is a commonality between a lot of my clients is that they just want to be validated. For sure. And, you know, I would love to validate them because I absolutely believe in them. I believe that they could change like their ways change their life. Just you have to put in the work, you have to be in the place where you want to change. And you're like, you know what, everything else is not working for me. What can I do? And it's usually honestly, I get the people with the last resort. They're like, I've gone to therapy. My therapist is Don't hate me for saying this shit. I haven't learned anything from her. I'm like, well, I have been through a lot of stuff and I've gone through the process of it. So let me show you what has worked for me. And, you know, know that healing is not linear. So what has worked for me may not work for you. But let me show you all these tools and let me show you even the things that did not really work for me, but might work for you.
0: Right, it's it's almost like um, just getting the people. A lot of people just don't know where to start, right? Yeah, it's because they think they know where to start, but like you can go through fifteen therapists and still not find the right one. Like I try to express that to people: like, there's other things that you should be trying while you're looking for whatever you think that perfect fit is. Just try everything.
1: Yeah,
0: try everything in terms of because you don't know what's going to work for you. Everybody's really, really different. We're all very similar, but we're all very different yeah. when it comes to treatment.
1: And it, people have to also remember that a lot of therapists get into that field to fix their own lives, but they don't have that awareness. And do you really want someone that doesn't have that awareness?
0: It's true. You know, it's like your first therapist, you might say someone is a is a rape victim, right? Yeah. And then like the first doctor that their insurance matches them up with is just like a, a guy that, you know, that's like not gonna be able to relate with you on a lot of things. Yeah. So like and then people get turned off by that, then they go around, you know, like exhaust all the options that you can. I tell people that all the time. Like just don't give up. Like I, I kind of fell in love with the process. I hated it at first, but like I kind of fell in love with the process of like, oh no, I'm gonna get like myself like a nice little medical team. Like and I'm just gonna like pick and choose like what works for me. And and I think that's is people can fall in love with the process of of like self-help it could be a beautiful thing if people just decide like i'm gonna dedicate myself to just being a healthier person
1: yeah and honestly okay this is the best way i feel to find a therapist ask all your friends that you like that are in therapy like do you like your therapist can i get their referral
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's the thing it's like People are so afraid to ask. Like, obviously, there's just so much stigma still. But like, I think people are doing a good job at getting rid of it. But we still have a, lo- a long way to go, right? That's why we're doing shows like this. But yeah, just ask questions, man. And just ask for help. If you listen to this, if you're listening to this episode, just ask for help, man. Anybody, anybody, everybody out there, just ask for help. Obviously, th- this thing was, it's a horrific situation that obviously came out with, you know, y- you having, you know, is your life or this other person? It's a horrific thing, but like where you're at in life, are you glad it happened in a sense of like, now that you can help other people, you know, because I feel like that's something that is a big thing, internal dialogue that you probably deal with. You probably ask yourself that question every day.
1: Well, I don't ask myself that question all every day because I know it is my purpose. Like I know... That you know this was supposed to happen to me, and now it's my dharma, my journey to tell all these other women, you know, even men, you know, this is what happened. This is why my mom got into this relationship. If you're in something like this, you can get out of it too, but you have to be careful.
0: Mm -hmm. No, for sure. And then I just want to really commend you on your on your bravery for first of all coming on here and talking with me, but then also just Being such a gangster. (laughs) I haven't put it in terms that (laughs) that I can understand. And its I just want you to know I'm really proud of you. I'm really happy that you're still with us here. And this is the last question. I ask this question at the end of every podcast. Are you happy today?
1: I'm really happy today. I'm going to the fair tomorrow.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then also, for anyone that would be interested in possibly getting your services, finding you on the internet, following your story, where can they find you on the internet?
1: So you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Tara, T-E-R-R-A, last name Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L. I also have Twitter, Tara underscore Newell, Facebook page, all that. And I started a new podcast, The Survivor Squad. And oh, nice. with another true crime survivor and we have on like a lot of different survivors we haven't started yet, but we know we're gonna have on people like my friend Lenora Claire who started like the survivor group in production and whatnot and then a bunch of other great survivors.
0: Super cool, super cool. but make sure to go check that out. Go follow Tara everywhere. Thank you again so much for being on the show and I'm so happy that you're happy and you know listen. If you ever needed somebody to dog sit, I can't do it, but I know a couple people that are great. How's well, that?
1: If you know of <laughs> anyone that needs a cat, send that. That's the other away. thing
0: too. Yeah. yes, Yeah. yeah. You, if anyone's looking for a cat, the cat made an appearance in the beginning. So, you know, this cat needs a home, but yes. again, thank you so much. It's really, it was an amazing opportunity for me to speak to you today. And I really, really appreciate it. And let's do this again sometime.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for chatting. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace.
2: Fate.
1: Entertainment.